Fuck it. We'll do it live. <laughs> Welcome back to another Sorry, episode of Hard Out, my favorite movie with Carl Slominski and Jenna Wright as Hello. our guests. Hi. To hear, we're here to talk about as an icebreaker, of course. Always, we'll get into whatever. But Jenna's favorite movie we've already covered with Michael Byers before is Halloween. But oh, Carl yeah. brought to the table Brazil by t- the one and only Terry Gilliam. Two flicks that have so much in common. <laughs> right. <laughs> Do you guys, first off, maybe we should let people know who you are. Jenna, writer, filmmaker. Do you podcast still? You had some kind of thing you were doing for a while, right? You were drinking wine, I remember back in the day, and (laughs) reviewing movies or something. Uh, yeah, there was a, a some, there was one thing I did where I would talk about movies and and pretend to drink. Ah, Uh, you're pretty good. It's kind of convincing at times. I thought you were getting hammered. And then uh, Carl and I had a, a podcast called Tricky Animals that we did for 10, 10 or 11 episodes. And then we just were like, I, I don't think we have anything else to talk about. I'm sick of you. Oh, yeah, we just got, <laughs> got to the point where like everybody's an expert now, so they don't need to hear us ramble. Yeah. You didn't have guests or anything. We found the same. That's why. Yeah, we get we sick of each other pretty end. fast. We had a couple, um, yeah. but it just it just got to a place where we got busy with other stuff and then everything shut down and then we got depressed and so just kind of it was hard what's to the point going. yeah and there's so many podcasts in the world that's how we feel right. about this one but we still just keep doing it because why the <laughs> fuck not it's like who cares what's the point um to our four patrons out there appreciate it <laughs> <laughs> like all episodes if you guys decide to stick around after there's a overtime session after the buzzer People have stuck around from three minutes to three hours. So hang as long as you want. Talk about whatever. Um, and people can see that if they go through our Patreon. It's only a buck. So you get access to all those. Excellent. You got anything to plug up front? Because this fucking buzzer will come up harsh. So we kind of reverse yeah. plug shit. Absolutely. I know you got Evermore Falls out there, but it's already funded, right? Do you want to talk about that a bit? I need all the money that's out there. Right. Back the brake <laughs> truck up. I don't care. It may be funded. All of it. <laughs> So Evermore Falls, you want to tell us about yeah. it? It is a all-ages graphic novel about kids who find a uh, mystical, magical, hidden land where monsters are real, and they are the keepers of an ancient evil that may threaten life as we know it. So the kiddos have to save the world. Yeah, kiddos have to save the world. That's actually the tagline. She just came up with it. <laughs> Perfect. You guys love uh, your hard work, man. It's oh, yeah. Very amazing. Thanks, guys. Yeah. I mean, what, maybe I I'll post some up in here if you don't mind. If you want to give me some samples yeah. to post. Um, sure. Your art is inspired to me. It's so idiosyncratic. And like when you see it, you know it's yours. And that's it's unique. Yeah. The most special thing you could have, the most special trait as an artist, in my opinion. It's like when we were growing up, Todd McFarlane was so unmistakably Todd McFarlane compared to all the guys who came before and then even after. But your shit is even more inventive and just unique it's amazing love it truly thanks i'm I'm gonna be blushing over here plus you use my favorite word idiosyncratic and compare me to the top father (laughs) hey man i think it's all deserved praise no hyperbole on my end at least that's how i feel um again people can see for themselves i'll post some samples up here but uh we're we're dying to work with you we got a thing we're trying to work with you on but we're waiting for the fucking money man as usual take always yeah so hopefully that comes together because uh, if not i'm like fuck it i mean full disclosure chris and i are ready to just drop all this hollywood shit <laughs> <laughs> we can get into that as well because uh i'm sure you got some thoughts on the industry and the creative life trying to navigate this fucking industry where commerce collides oh, with I've art. Got some thoughts <laughs> yeah all right let them rip sh- fuck brazil and hollywood yeah, fuck the movie. <laughs> uh, let me give you that real scoop <laughs> right well, the funny thing is a movie like Brazil would never get made now, and that's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I practically almost didn't. Right. Even then. Yeah, right. And we all know <laughs> Terry Gilliam's had his struggles with the man who, what was it, Don Quixote, uh, the man who killed Don Quixote? Is that what it was called? Yeah. yeah. Lost, Lost in La Mancha, the documentary. It's amazing. Right. Amazing. And they ended up making the man who killed Don Quixote. I didn't even know that. I, just looking him up just now because I love Lost in La Mancha and how he, ironic it is and appropriate it is that it is like a Don Quixote chasing windmills. You know, it's almost like a metaphor for the project. 
But now that he's and it's with Adam Driver instead of Johnny Depp, and I think oh, it was going to be Ewan McGregor no at some point, and yeah, so have to watch that at some point. Did Gilliam direct it? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Oh yeah. shit! I gotta watch it. I know. I had no idea. Well, all right. Well, tell us about your experience with Brazil. The first time you saw it, why you love it so much all these years later. And oh. Jenna, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it too. I'm curious <laughs> to see if you love it nearly as much as him. <laughs> I have never seen it. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> well, all right. So I'm let me gonna learn everything I can from you guys. Before right. I let him launch in, though, let me say today's my birthday. My wife got me this amazing Indian food last night, but I don't know what the hell was in it because I spent, <laughs> I tried to watch the film again last so, night because I hadn't seen it in 25 years or some shit, probably. And dude, I got hit with the worst. I was like a fire hose on each end of me. That's a hell of, hell of a condition to be in watching Brazil, too, man. Right. Must have made it was like three hours scenario. of just fucking hydro excavation. And I feel like I'm hungover. So hair of the dog, even though I'm not. Yeah. Nice. Particularly that, uh, that that scene with the shit filling up the suits, you know? Yes. <laughs> that hit home. Um, well, you were birthday. living that. <laughs> so if I puke in the middle of this or anything, that'll just be my Artie Lang moment for the show. Oh. Run with it. So go ahead. The floor is yours. Let's hear about Brazil. Shit. Uh, Brazil. I, I think I found it at the right time in my life. I was just starting art school which is the best time to start watching arty bullshit movies like brazil i didn't come to it from like the monty python of it all i'm not a huge monty python mm -hmm, guy sure. um but uh brazil i think my roommate had it and i was like what what is this and he was like oh son <laughs> let me learn you something and he threw it on and it's it's not a movie that exists in a real world and yet it's completely about the struggle of the real world and yeah. it doesn't look the like bureaucracy and yeah yeah like it's a thing that doesn't have an actual enemy it has paperwork it doesn't mm -hmm. have a very assertive protagonist he's very passive mm -hmm. um he daydreams about being a superhero essentially <laughs> and like in some inspired right. shit like, like amazing yes. scenes it's especially for that era yeah, it's mm -hmm. one of those things where every time I watch it, I just go, this is more and more relevant mm -hmm. than probably when it was even released. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, everything is so closely monitored. Everybody is on some form of eggshells. And we're also very dismissive of, like, the daily, like, violence of it all. Like, there are bombings straight up throughout this movie. Right. And, and how nonchalant people are. They just keep eating at the restaurant and shit. Yeah. I had a, a Especially the rich. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. when I was right. in uh, New York City a few years back, I remember being in, um, I think it was Penn Station, and you'd hear like every five minutes, if you see something, say something, and blah, blah, mm -hmm. which is like, holy shit, I'm in the middle of Brazil right mm -hmm. now. Because mm -hmm. Ten years ago, it wasn't like that, but here we are. And that's normal. Um, but it's just one of those movies that just has so much to look at, too. Like the world building is, it just knocks it out of the park from like, the totally. kafka-esque billboards that have been yeah i was going to mention kafka the, the whole even like the trial if you know the trial yeah. this reminded yeah, yeah. me of that a lot with the the guy didn't even know what he was charged for through the whole book and he's still going through the court system and just <laughs> out of his control yeah i uh i love that it's basically death by a thousand paper cuts almost yeah <laughs> it's a good way to put it yeah and uh I, when i was reading up on it a while back uh the working title of the movie was 1984 and a half and i always thought that was such <laughs> that's a beautiful title. yeah i thought that too 84 yep um but it's funny all the same notes the, whole, the song brazil which the film is named after is mm -hmm. like the runner for that movie and it's gilliam said himself that it's basically a metaphor for that need to escape the monotony mm -hmm. and that was like vacation background music mm -hmm. that would get piped yeah. into airports and that's <laughs> exactly what that movie is well, yeah while you're sitting on hold what do you hear that yeah, music I... you're in purgatory yeah, yeah there's this <laughs> promise of hope or whatever coming through your ears mm -hmm. uh, but to this day i think it's kind of had an impact on everything i've done because it is so scathingly sarcastic and bitter about the system, mm -hmm. but also being so tepid and a little meek mannered about it. Mm -hmm. It's just like, well, I can't do much about it unless I'm right. in dreams. It's how we all acquiesce because it's just like, what am I going to do <laughs> against the system? You know? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, but yeah, it's, it's fucking great. And it's all about just one accident having 
Yes, <laughs> that was great too. That's that moment where it he squashes the bug and it falls on the typewriter and changes a letter and <laughs> sends someone else to, you know. I I've lost my mind. as a terrorist. How the smallest thing in that movie have the biggest impact, and it mm-hmm. the story is inconsequential because of that, but also leads to everything that happens. Yeah, it's very <laughs> Dirk gently. Yeah. In that regard, the holistic aspect. So yeah, what's that? Yeah. Was that? I was just saying, is it because I haven't seen it, but I've seen like the case thing, and I think mm-hmm. he's put it on on the background while we've done stuff. And like, is it extravagant and beautiful? Because I feel like your art is also very kind of very oh, yeah. detailed and very uh, trying to like force this beautiful thing into the world, even though it's idiosyncratic and and all yeah. of that. One of the design elements I really like is you're a glitter party. I am a glitter party. This is not a glitter party. <laughs> this is the grayest movie you'll ever see. Okay. Um. One of the things I really liked about it is like the design aspect is cutting the corners so extreme that they have tiny computer screens, but giant magnifying glasses too. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. All right. That would save the ducks, you so all the ducks everywhere. Yeah. Just like Byzantine. Well, it's funny because as I watched it, I thought, you know, of course, most people would call this an absurdist take or whatever. Right. But I'm like, as I'm watching it, I'm like, it's no more absurd than our reality is. Our reality is truly absurd, you know? As mundane as it seems, it's absurd, any of it, that we even exist, have yeah, technology, period. period, whatever, considering what creatures we are. But secondly, the bureaucracy of it all, the fact that, okay. I mean, life does feel like this. It's hyperbolic in the film, but, I mean, just I had to register a car again the other day. I'm like, wait, why do I have to re-register my car every year and, like, remind you? I got to pay you to remind you that I own this car and shit, like, it's just that's kind of how the film operates you know it's the world we live in but uh or like how you have to move your car across the street every other night (laughs) that kind of shit uh it is every day for us i cannot stand it and if it's not in the designated hour here you're fined yeah (laughs) right it's insane and you don't want to be i mean i don't know what you guys are politically but uh some anarchist of course like you, you want there to be some system in place right but man is it overdoing it you just know as far as system yeah. just the invasiveness into your life like it'd be so nice if it was kind of a passive thing that you didn't feel the impression of all the time you know yeah well and that's we were just talking about you get fined for something if you you know misbehave or whatever but if you're rich like with well, parking tickets right. so what you know but if you're poor and you're barely making rent then it's a big deal same penalty but it's really not you know depending on your circumstances yeah a parking ticket can ruin your life it can snowball into your car being taken and shit because you don't pay them and it's crazy it's also like like think about bank overdraft fees like you already oh yeah been there they're gonna charge you more money because you don't have right louis ck has a great bit on that insufficient funds yeah i agree i have insufficient <laughs> funds they're like wait so you don't have enough money so you're going to take more money okay or your credit score is not high enough so you have to pay more than you would if yeah. your credit score were good well my credit score is not good because i don't have the money like right. right as if they can't program the shit to just deny the transaction and not let you overdraft like just right. get declined yeah. at the it's opportunity point of purchase you know they want to penalize you so you don't keep doing Dude, it they make billions off of fucking overdraft fees alone probably mm-hmm. anyway fucking <laughs> back and to the consumerism oh go ahead but i was just gonna say back to what jenna was saying about carl's art being informed by this i do think what i love about terry gilliam and Fisher King might be my all-time favorite movie. So huge fan of fucking Terry Gilliam. I feel like what I love about his his work is what I love about your art. I wouldn't say Mm -hmm. if I look at your art, I'm like, Terry Gilliam, I think it immediately. But I think it shares some kind of... Sensibilities. Yeah, exactly. There's something there that's just simpatico, you know? I'll take that. I mean, that's, that's high praise. That and the Todd McFarlane remark... It doesn't help. Bro, that, I'm not telling you, we talk about your shit way more than you think. Like, dude, we got to get Carl. We got to get Carl. Even if this thing crumbles somehow, I want to find a way to get you to do something with the Revenger because we still own the rights to that. You know. Oh, nice. So it's like maybe we can just do a first issue, see what how many pages it would be, find a way to wrangle the money for your fee because you definitely deserve to get paid for the shit you do, obviously. Damn Skippy. That's why I first started talking to Carl. I was like, I saw his, like, I started following him on Twitter because I liked his art. And I was, I was just like, I'm going to figure out a way to force him to create something with me because I like his art so much. 
Yeah. yeah. And then nice. you did. And now we're doing that. <laughs> That's right. Making comics. Just don't create a baby. You'll be right. <laughs> oh, no, thank you. On Father's Day, I said, oh, tomorrow's Father's Day, I guess. <laughs> Happy not a Father's Day. Happy enjoyed the fact that you had a cat. <laughs> yeah, at least between the four of us, we only have one kid. It's mine, but that's a good ratio as far as overpopulation goes. <laughs> I could talk all day about Terry Gilliam movies in general. Um, time Bandits. Seen, I mean, time <laughs> Bandits for us as kids excellent. in the 80s with that shit on rotation <laughs> yes. and free HBO, we'd get promotional once in a while, you know, living in the hood. That shit was amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like We might be into, we might have gotten into Dungeons and Dragons type shit as kids in the 80s through that. Maybe. I don't know. I don't remember the At timeline. Least it but contributed. Sure. I was always partial to uh, 12 Monkeys as well. 12 Monkeys is mm-hmm. amazing. But that's also like the movie that broke him through to the mainstream. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah Brad Pitt. Hell, Bruce Willis. Death, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people see that and they're like, oh yeah, Terry Gilliam, the same guy that did Baron Munchausen? <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Tideland? Yeah. What? Oh my God. <laughs> I need to watch that again. I was not in yeah. the right space. We tried that. That was later once. too, right? Yeah, it was way later. Yeah. Like, actually really liked Tideland because it's seeing what he can do with limitations yeah it's so notorious for like getting a nugget of an yeah. idea and letting it blow up to you know Brazil mm-hmm. um but that is an incredible little flick just for that reason and his frustration is all over the screen of that one too because he's just like I can't have any more fucking money what <laughs> I think we were just in a headspace where we we're writing like these shit talking redneck bank robbers in this script all the time and then we put it on and it's just like this whispering little girl shit or something we're just like not in the place to watch it at the time and i remember just thinking there was something some element that wasn't hitting for me but i definitely want yeah. to revisit it thanks to this podcast probably but uh <laughs> terry Gilliam deserves definitely. me to watch it in full you know, yes. before I, just I mean as jay days. said one of our favorite films i mean like top three possibly maybe favorite even if you yeah, really fish put a gun to our heads is fisher king there. so uh and uh the, the lost la mancha documentary i mean that's it's shit amazing speaks to me as a filmmaker mm-hmm. yeah anyone who's tried to make a film can relate to that just the the f-16s or whatever flying through your mm-hmm. shot shit just that kind of bullshit that making a film is trying to herd cats and you know so frustrating i uh i watch every time i watch that i feel a little bit more inspired though to just take things into my own hands mm, yeah so reliant on all the moving pieces in the puzzle and i'm just like man i don't want to feel that way i don't want to have no. like my like i gotta Preach. walk down the hallway alone moment i want to just get my shit made this is why we're just trying to scale back to pros probably even podcast audio plays it's just your pros. imagination and nothing else so pretty much mm-hmm. you know you're, you're forcing the reader to uh, you know picture it in their heads to be the director you know yeah cast it everything That's and we sad. can't draw like you we're pretty good artists right. but <laughs> if i can't do something amazing i don't want to do it you know it's so I mean? time consuming That's the thing. although prose is too so jealous of what he can do because he can draw he can write he can letter he can color so mm-hmm. one man band you can just take mm-hmm. the vision you have in your head and make it and put it out into the world whereas i can't do that like i can't light and direct and do all the things that i have to do for a movie all by myself mm-hmm. you can just yep. sit down a, a desk a month later put something out into the world and i'm so jealous you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is what we say always to filmmakers, too, and kind of what we did with Cactus Jack. Yeah. We've said in a lot of Q&As, like, the first day we had a full crew and everything, and after 10 hours of that, we're like, no, fuck all this. Prior to that, in my mind, I always wanted to just keep it stripped down as much as possible. Well, to the point where we reconfigured the whole story, even. Yeah, we redesigned the story to make it a documentary style to to make that easier. Found footage or whatever, so we just created ourselves and did everything like, oh, I'm going to give myself 10 minutes to light it. Fuck it. Who cares? But I'm gonna make it an amateur documentarian who's making the shit. So I give myself that out. Yeah. That yeah. it can look like shit. You know what I mean? So it's just I shooting just think, it in the environment. Yeah. I think it's That's a great so way for people to operate. And then you do learn as you do the things, you know, even just you're lighting it on the fly, you're learning. So it's kind of uh, autodidacticism or whatever going on there. But uh is the more the suffering the fools, man, the worst shit for us in Hollywood. It isn't it's not even the rejection and all that. I could give a fuck. 
Mm -hmm. I can handle all that. Yeah. People don't like our shit. We say like it or don't all the time, but it's just the notes and the thoughts and the Mm -hmm. opinions and the waiting and the asking permission. Fuck all that. It's disgusting. Yeah. I'm not a fan. I got a lot of that with uh, Evermore Falls because I had uh, my agent took it out to pretty much every imprint that had like a YA kids readers graphic Mm -hmm. novel imprint. All those son of a guns came back with like, this looks amazing, but it's too good for kids. Or it's too detailed. It looks too much like a comic book. It's so insulting. So stupid. Kids can and get lost in those details, man. I would eat that shit up when I was a kid. So would I. I mean, that's I how like, kids become grunt. Yeah, they're dumbing down ups. the kids by doing this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was frustrating, man, because I'd like, I'd try to tell them, like, you know, that these people have no idea what the fuck they're talking about, and they're coming right. back and saying, yeah. like this is not a good drawing or not a good book. And they don't know what they're saying because they don't actually have any background in this. Half these people didn't even work in a comic book field until like two years ago when Scholastic was like, we need a comic book imprint. And even those who do work in the field get stuck in these ideas of what it should and should not be. And how do you innovate in that model? You know, like they're they're just putting what they, you know, the way they've always seen it done down as gospel. Yep, right. but which is uh, just full of know-it-alls, and they're usually operating from a point of fear, not any kind yep. of like knowledge that they could base yep. it on. It's really risk aversion that's driving their every mm-hmm. fucking thought. And I don't want to be the guy who champions this thing that everyone else is like, huh, about. So everyone's just a pussy by default. Yep. It's not even an insult. It's just again the system, like yeah, Brazil, that's the human condition yeah. forces you to be that way, and then they start coming up with excuses to say no. Because you can't just say, I'm scared of it, to be honest. I'm scared to try and take this out or put money behind it because I'm scared I won't get a return on my investment. They got to start giving these bullshit excuses that sound detrimental to your work. You know what I'm saying? They can't say it's great, but I'm scared. It's like, no, it's too this. It's too that. Fuck off. You hear that so many times, and they're from people in quote-unquote positions of power. And I feel like you start to think wait am i shit at this when you know that you're not right exactly you know that you're not but everyone keeps saying well it's not for me it's not for me it's just like you start to question yourself and you shouldn't because you told your story the way you wanted to tell it it's not wrong it can't be wrong exactly. i was like that the decision makers were called creative execs and they're nothing creative right. about <laughs> totally the only thing creative is them coming up with the way to tell you no when it's really based on fear or whatever. <laughs> but even then, they just have a whole a bandolier with like these six stupid stock answers. It's to this, to that, whatever, mm-hmm. you know? So fucking annoying. I hate it. <laughs> uh, and we so, made it, this film, Cactus Jack, as like a total fuck you to everything about Hollywood, storytelling, audiences, everybody, essentially. But uh, then you run into the problem where we think it's great, because we know the intention behind every shot and everything, you know what I mean? So we know the mojo that it's working with. But to your point, Jenna, you could say, I'm going to make it my own way. It's great. I know it's great. But then when you put it out there in the wilderness too, the audiences don't find it. Like it's a, when you do niche shit, it's so hard to find those people who are scattered around the globe right. and let them know that it exists and it's, shit, you know? And especially now it's on the one hand, it's great that, you know, the technology and everything is more democratized the access to the audience, you know, through the internet, um, you know, the tools to do all these things, you don't need as much of a committee, but it, for that same reason, it's also way oversaturated. So it's a needle in a haystack, you know, yep. but it's yeah. not, it's oversaturated to a degree, but I think this is where we all get like and freaked out about algorithms. But I think they can work yeah. in our favor. The way oh, targeted definitely. marketing works is like, can mm-hmm. we get the algorithms to work for creatives to yeah. take Evermore Falls right to the people who would dig Evermore right. Falls, you know? Yeah, like people bemoan, you know, uh, your information being sold. But in the end, it's really just being used to market to you the things that you're interested in. So I get ads for guitars and not cosmetics or whatever it is. You know what I mean? I'm okay with that. So same thing with this, like the type of content that I'd want to consume. It's more likely to, you know, the YouTube. But you have to just be conscious of it. You can't let it railroad you if you're the problem is it's still all driven by money because evermore falls isn't going to make facebook enough money to give a shit about directing people there with their algorithm it's all that's how their advertising works though so if you're willing to put some money into the facebook advertising for example then you it gives you all the guys to say i want to choose these particular types of people kickstarter you were funded in what four days yeah and it's still going right yeah we got uh, another whole week left how much are you beyond the money you were asking for what do you want 20 grand lordy no uh i asked for a modest six. Oh, 
just to cover like a small print run. What are you guys at now as far as what you've taken in? Uh, nine. Yeah, man, you might want to awesome. run some Facebook ads or some shit with yeah. that. I mean, anytime I watch an episode of Shark Tank, <laughs> that's what the people who have a lot of sales are doing is they're doing direct marketing through yep. Facebook and Instagram and shit. Instagram might be better than Facebook because it's so visual. Uh, yeah, around, but that's true. I will say the benefit of doing everything on my own has uh, kind of shown me where the audience is. Mm. And I was very mm. like targeted in the people that I reached out to, like as far as promotion is concerned, like because comics, while a niche marketplace, a lot of the people looking for stuff that I do, they're not going to be like in the Marvel DC arena. Right. They're not gonna, that, like, yeah these little other companies that do like pink flowery books. So I was very, uh, very aware of like, Oh, I'll go on that podcast because I know that they're into mm. like dope art or I'll go and interview with these people because they're mm -hmm. into independent alternative shit. And uh, it's, it saves everyone time and energy. And yeah. You can find those little corners, I guess, the yeah. internet where the people congregate who are like-minded, but. Uh... And like the people that are your ride or dies, they'll stick with you no matter what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like word of mouth has been a great asset for me. And uh, even on top of that, just being upfront and honest about what the project was is and like the process behind it like more people have been enjoying hearing me talk about like just how ridiculously ass backwards publishing is mm -hmm. they'll be like yeah i'll support that book because fuck them like cool right <laughs> yeah because i mean that's kind of where we all come from that whole need to own what we do to control what we do to just make dope mm -hmm. shit and not have to answer to anyone for exactly. it exactly Yes. And that's kind of what was great about doing the Kickstarter. I'm like, listen, I should have been doing this years ago, and I could have probably had a bigger fucking fan base by then. You know what your brilliance is, though? Doing a Kickstarter with a finished product. Like, yeah. we hit Indiegogo yeah. and got a few. With a film, you kind of got to get props. You got to cost more. Like, the beauty okay, of yeah. what you do is you need your art yeah, supplies, but that's it. Thing, yep. Yeah, you know. I think the thing that a lot of, uh, especially with comic Kickstarters, where they go wrong is they offer a bunch of, like, nonsense Mm -hmm. like, super small like, yeah i'm funding a i don't want a pin or a poster or yeah a and it burdens you with having to fulfill all this shit too you know <laughs> it's like it's, that's a nightmare in and of itself yeah between that though and like not having a book done mm -hmm. what's the point you're going to be waiting for that thing for like another year with if you ever even get it yeah exactly Dude, it took us four years to make cactus shack there were people i'm sure who were like these losers aren't making their movie <laughs> yeah. we gave money for nothing you know and eventually we finished it but Shit, I think there's probably some rewards we haven't delivered on. <laughs> it's like, well, dude, nobody needs to know. <laughs> eh, fucking, I don't care. I admit, hey, if you think you're owed a reward and you see this, hit us up, yeah. and I'll try and fulfill it for you. But if you don't care, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, I don't even remember what we put on there. It's been so I think long. It was ago. maybe like a couple signed scripts, but uh, then we ended up making the movie without a script, without, right? So it's like, what the fuck? Am I? I'm gonna, I guess, I mean, go back and transcribe it and sign it i don't know this film in particular though we did approach with no like time limit that was part of the point yeah. was to say that we'll shoot it in a location we can control with the accessible actors and stuff yeah. you know that, that so maybe not four years but we definitely left it open-ended as far as just being able to be yeah. agile and shoot at our own pace part of that was the system without a script in too because we had a couple tv yeah, things we pop off during that, so we'd go away from it for like a year, even at a time sometimes. But uh, point being, what you're doing, you are lucky because you're so fucking talented, and you do have that distinct art style. I kind of feel for guys who want to do what you do but don't got that mojo. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's what I when I was referring to the oversaturation of film and everything, pretty much music. What is it, sixty something thousand new songs uploaded a day? Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's just it's like crazy. Yeah, the just by definition, the vast majority is is just never gonna you know i mean but again the what's the point of art too you know like if you're just doing it because you enjoy it just making the music or drawing or whatever that's that's great on its own it doesn't necessarily have to be a career either you know it's great if you can make it one but well the problem is like if we had universal basic income or some shit yeah three guys right. can get an apartment together and just yeah, make and you just do what the fuck you want right. shit, you know what i'm saying because they got three yeah. grand a month but the way we live now it's like it we got to work these shit jobs we hate to make our art and then eventually you can't help but dream of making the art your job so then you get sucked into that whole side of it you know then right. you start making all these compromises on it and shit but uh i don't know jenna you've had a film made right 
Oh yeah. Yes, How'd that go? <laughs> that was uh that was quite a learning experience. Do you want to tell people what it is and where they can get it or anything? Or? <laughs> uh, the film, uh, we wrote it as a script called The Sound and it eventually ended up being a film uh, called Ambition. And uh, it was in theaters for a short period of time in the fall of 2019. And then uh, Shout Factory put it out on nice. uh, Blu-ray. Yeah. Good curators. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it was a long process we wrote the first draft of that script in january of 2010 and, and so that's not when you say we you don't mean you and carl because did you know no, him in 2010 even <laughs> no i didn't uh so i have a writing partner his name is john and mm -hmm. uh i've known him for god almost like 20 years and so we wrote the script together we were like it's going to be a a nice little contained thriller um it's going to be set in the northeast it's going to be set during winter and the film is filmed in Baton Rouge during a, a like a, a rainstorm, <laughs> and it just it went through so many drafts, and, and we developed and developed and developed, and then it eventually filmed in uh, in spring of 2016, and then it took that long to come out into in 2019. Yeah, I mean. It's That's like you, th these aren't children as much as people like to say, like you can't pick between your favorites or whatever. Yeah. Like, but uh, these aren't children. You can almost just lose touch with it. You're like, oh yeah, remember that movie? By the time it comes out, you're even like, oh yeah. <laughs> like, there were definitely long stretches where I was like, what's happening with the sound? And John would be like, I don't know. We should hit up our manager and figure it out. Like, <laughs> you know, you just, once it, once you option it, once it goes to a place, it's yeah, kind mm -hmm. of, unless you're doing a rewrite on it, it's out of your hands. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, you, it was a long process yeah do you write prose at all because again we keep coming back to that we're like set it in fucking new england during a snowstorm yeah, yeah in prose Ima imagination is the limit you want yeah 100 percent. so i wrote a script uh i want to say four or five years ago uh called hellion and i liked it didn't sell because it was a kind of a dark fantasy-ish type world not based on IP. It was an original idea. And mm -hmm. I you know, I've got a lot of feedback that said, hey, we like this, but we can't sell it unless it's based on IP. But I liked the world so much that I was like, well, F you guys. Nice. I turned the script into a novel. And then I was like, well, I can write a prologue. So I wrote a prequel. And then I wrote two more novels in the world. And now I have to write the fourth and final novel. And like, Am I the greatest prose writer? No, I'm used to writing scripts. So my stuff is really like kind of concise and short and mm -hmm. I don't get flowery. And so is Hemingway. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. He did all right. Yeah, he was all right. Um, but I just, I love the world so much that whether anyone bought the book or not, I was going to write them. And I just, I threw them up on Amazon. I self-published and and I loved, I love writing them. I love that world. And if, even if nobody ever buys the script, I don't care. That's how we feel, and we fall in that same trap again, but it's almost because of that attitude, for us at least, self-fulfilling, yeah. that people might love it, but again, that audience, where do you, we don't do yeah. shit to market. Yeah. We are awful marketers, so, and that is I'm probably, not a Twitterer or any of that. No, Facebook. I hate all this shit. Got, yeah. Even then on so, Twitter, like, it doesn't even matter. Yeah, like, no one I, cares. I, right. I tried to market a little bit, but there are people out there who are churning out right. books and content so fast then unless you jump in and spend a fairly hefty sum promoting your book you are going to get spit up and chewed out by the algorithm within days mm -hmm. like right. you're just not even make a dent so the almighty algorithm yeah, it's like what do you fucking algorithm. do because uh chris and i talk all the time about and i think both of you will dig this and have probably thought about it yourselves the advent of a creative middle class can we make yeah. 40 grand a year making yeah. dope shit like this does it have to be rags or riches, you know? And again, it's just finding that loyal audience and I guess turning out, being prolific enough to keep them engaged and remembering that you exist as this tidal wave of shit is coming at them at all yeah. times. But uh, easier said than done, man, especially when you got to have day jobs. And I mean, the pandemic hit, I got a kid who was homeschooled. He was home on virtual schooling for the whole year. So I'm like, I can't get shit done. Unless I sleep two hours a night, you know? Those, yeah. those people cranking out books, like a book every six weeks or a book every month. It's like, 
I'm sure they're making a, a living, but like, when do you burn out? Like, when right. do you mm -hmm. run out of shit to say? And it's, you were talking about universal basic income. Like, would it be the worst thing in the world if people just didn't have to worry about feeding their family? Your basic and needs, yeah. What they love? Preach. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, no brainer, really, especially with automation and everything. You know, become more prominent. Consumes. Everyone consumes right. energy. Right, exactly. Dead man even consume more in this scenario. Right? Consumers for Christ. <laughs> yes. That's what Brazil. do you want for Christmas, little girl? A credit no. card. Sarah. Yes, exactly. In Brazil, this little girl wants a credit card. 1985 or whatever. He was nailing this shit. Yes. Profit. It's like you want to act like writing isn't as valid a job as like being an accountant. But okay, so stop reading books and stop watching television. Mm-hmm. It's just a harder and the computers thing to be quantify. Doing the you know yeah. what I mean? It's harder to say you're doing the work or not. We talk all the time. I just wrote some article for Script Pipe or Pipeline Artist or whatever that site they have about uh, the power of thoughtful procrastination. And that old Billy Wilder story where Jack Warner burst into the bungalow and was like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm paying you 10 grand a week to write or whatever. And Wilder was laying there with a newspaper over his face, sleeping basically in the sunlight. And he says, I am writing. I'll be typing later. It's like exactly. our work doesn't look like work yeah. a lot of the times, you know what I mean? Well, like, I mean? So it's hard every to, day, every day, Stephen King goes for a long walk. And I'm sure that's where a lot of his writing is done just in right. his head as he's thinking about the next thing he's going to knock out or whatever. So it's very easy for people for to me. think you look like a loafer or whatever, and you're just creating art. And it's very easy, of course, especially with this deluge of shit to say, who cares? Does the world <laughs> need your story or whatever? Right. Maybe not, but I don't know. <laughs> I know a lot of it's compulsive too you just compulsively want to create or you know at least i have that where it's not even so much about an audience half the time for me it's more just that i just right i'm compelled to that's it you know like carl you're just making the comic book you want to read that doesn't exist right right yeah always. there's that too yeah that's always what i'm doing because yeah. i hate the current state of the industry you've said multiple mm -hmm. times you wanted to make a comic book that would be a kid's favorite first comic like we would get them into comics. Nice. Yeah, every, every book that i get into i go with the mindset of the only limitation i have is my ability and my imagination because that blank page wasn't put in front of me to draw two people in a room talking right that's boring that's i mean i love my dinner with andre and shit yeah i love <laughs> richard linklater movies before sunrise but i'm telling you right now man but for man, a comic book medium like, it's every comic book i pick up is like that and it's so mm -hmm. discouraging because mm -hmm. well, i'm like you guys i grew up on the toddy mac like that shit's exciting yes do you remember when he first hit oh yeah holy shit we were in the philippines it was the 80s we were yeah. living there as military it was revolutionary brats, and that was one of the major things was waiting for the afi's bookstore to get the new comics in and shit yep. and i remember like i went and looked and saw it was that episode of amazing spider-man issue 298 with that guy chance right and I was just yep. like, what the fuck? When I went to the I love that it was just this <laughs> random ass issue too. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Cause and again, over there, that's all we had access to, of course, was Marvel and DC, you know, the mainstream. So you're not gonna be getting that for sure. Fucking uh have you guys ever seen the shit or something documentary? There? Which documentary? The the one about image, the founding of image. No, I gotta oh. check that out. Yeah, it's in the, the beginning, it's just Todd Toddy Mac, and he's up there and he's like you know, you want to be successful. You want to make your, because you're not happy with the way things are going. Stop working for fucking Marvel. Yes. <laughs> nice. But again, yeah. it's like Carl saying that too. It's like, you got yeah. the talent, dude. It's like a lot of guys. Right. It's an Eric Larson who preceded or followed Todd yeah. McFarlane and started stealing his web style and all that shit. I'm sure at the oh, behest yeah. of the bosses. <laughs> the uh, is he going to go start an image comics? No. You guys like yeah, for sure. It's uh, I throw that on like once a month just to get fired up. Fuck nice, yeah. yeah, that kind of stuff is kind inspiring. Those guys that like Marvel and DC look the way they do now, though, because they don't want the artist to kind of mm -hmm. overscale. Yeah, they can't yeah. be bigger than the brand essentially. The full corporate now, yep. yeah. Same yep. with the it's like the studio system essentially, like or just yeah. even how they keep they do the same thing. Yeah, it's like we can't let the directors or, or one of the reasons I think writers aren't propped up in Hollywood more. I mean, writers should be on a pedestal and every interview a decent actor gives says it all starts with a script and everything yet. They don't want to give writers the power. So they're not going to fucking, you know, you get, you know, second billing, I guess, behind the director kind of with credits, but it's yeah. like all the producers well, are up there first. The other day, 
Uh, the the is it the one about the writers and directors? yeah so yeah it's very bizarre that the writers in comics are treated like the directors in film right. like in comics the writer is the creator and the artist is just the mm. person hired which is hilarious the comic and then in film the director is a big deal and the person who actually conceived of it wrote all the dialogue and well, all it's that just like, like most people don't know their names capitalism again we look at yeah. these lords of capital and shit it's like no Always look at whoever is being shit on. That's the yep. most essential cog in the machine. You know? <laughs> the slaughterhouse worker. Because no one wants to give them the power. Like, they have it all. They just have no leverage. And that's what it always comes down to leverage. You got very little in any of these industries, you know? And, the, and when, when you are leverage. holding the hammer, they want to give you as little leverage as possible. Because right? you can wield Why that I, power. Yeah, you know? exactly. So even like how writer is king in TV, they say, say no, it's not. The fucking executives are king. Yeah. The writer doesn't get last say on shit, mm. you know. It's always here. Where's the money? I'm gonna go on some you capital screen. After this. <laughs> <laughs> you want to talk about Halloween at all? Why is your favorite movie? Oh, it's my favorite movie because I hadn't. I took me a while to see it. Like I didn't see it until I was maybe 16. And my dad was super um, influential in terms of me growing up to be a spooky kid because when I was little, like far too young to be reading this stuff, the stuff on his shelves was Stephen King, mm -hmm. like Edgar Allan Poe, and like yeah, Dean. Same Coons. with us. Yep, that's yeah. how we grew up. Oh, Dean Coons, yep. our mom read all that shit. Yeah. 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 So like so I'm sitting there at like whatever it was, 10 years old, just devouring Jurassic Park. Right. And, and he one day i remember specifically like watching tv on a saturday and he's like have you not seen halloween yet and i was like yeah no what is it good and he's like okay we're putting on halloween and he did and i didn't know it at the time because i didn't want to be a writer yet like i wasn't somebody who came to this early i came to it quite late um but i watched it and i was like i'm terrified and i don't know why but i know it's because of john carpenter like and he going forward like then i discovered the fog then i discovered the thing like all of this stuff and i think that what i really love about halloween is its simplicity like in its story and especially in its direction like he mm -hmm. just the execution he might be around on a on a wheelchair but like he's also just locking the camera off and letting the scene play out totally. and i find that like so much of what happens nowadays is either quick cuts or shaky cam max or coverage no building of tension you know, yeah yeah like hearkening back like, to who, say who are we talking about that with we we're talking i think it was james mcteague actually you know the v for mm -hmm. vendetta director we had him yeah. on and we were talking about how filmmakers back in the day possibly because of the medium of film versus digital would I mean when you think about Spielberg, it's such a pure cinema thing where he knows where to place the camera, so it starts framed with an amazing frame, but then it moves to reveal information and mm -hmm. increase tension or whatever, and lands again on a perfectly framed frame. You know yep. that art, knowing is where you wanted to land. Yeah, yeah, it's all yep. cuts. It's all, and it's you don't need tracking shots like Scorsese and out of touch. Or whatever you can do it simply by moving the camera mm -hmm. and what's in frame. You know. But man, I watched Raiders of the Lost Ark last night and I just kept going, movies don't look like this anymore. No. Mm -hmm. And they should. It's so easy. Yeah. I go in the beginning, I look, I go, watch, it's all blocking, and he just follows and lets them exactly. out. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You cast it well and, and you can just sit this on some sticks and just let it go. Like yeah. The longer the cut is as well, and Tarantino will do this, you know, it's you're letting your actors act, like you said, together, yeah. and that just sucks you in so like, right. i'm there you feel like you're in the room people yeah. you know versus all these cuts you know it's 15 different takes stitched together and shit like and it's not flashy it's like the 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 scenes that they let play out or like the wonders that they're doing they're not announcing themselves as the director you're just so sucked yes. into the story it's very mm -hmm. simple movement and like i was re-watching the fog the other day and and it's just the way he just lets a scene like the guy who's who's mopping up in the store and the bottles start to shake in the uh the the glass cases mm -hmm. you know what i'm talking about yeah. When, yeah it's just like very simple just one guy just following him while he mops and it's just like it's creepy it's creepy as hell mm -hmm. somebody with a hook hand knocking on your door <laughs> and i don't feel like i feel like we've lost a lot of like it's all trickery now and it's all yeah. cut it's all yep. 
it's, it's never just a it never feels motivated it feels like it's homage and rip off and just mm-hmm, this is how mm-hmm. you shoot but there's no it's like the the way movies came to be shot is because the original pioneers thought of ways to motivate a shot like hitchcock we did an exercise in film school i remember i was a dropout but still i went for a while where <laughs> we were doing an editing exercise and it was clap on every cut and then you hit the shower scene and it's like boom Boom, 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 because he's trying to motivate you to feel mm-hmm. as if you're getting stabbed up by this knife that keeps coming right. at you. Yeah. That's why you're cutting so much. Not because it looks cool or because, you know, you can't make up your mind. That's yeah. what a lot of it is. Yeah, specifically like. horror, t- too. Um, you know, that that during that, that whole era, 60s, 70s, into like the early 80s horror, like it's, it, do- it takes its time. Like mm-hmm. I said, if you feel like you're in the room, which is so much more horrific than like most of modern horror stuff doesn't do anything for me. It's yeah. just too. Yeah. Every cut glossy. reminds you you're watching a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, um, that stuff like you thought you were like going to get that like le- uh, fucking Leatherface chainsaw is like right there next to you, you know, or whatever. Uh, the fucking exorcist and stuff like that, man, that pulls you way more in. We, um, we just ended up watching, so speaking of like, it's never done like this anymore. Like you can put all the ghosts and things or murderers on screen that you want. And I'm never going to be as scared as when a director does a slow pan that's going to reveal something that's going to terrify exactly. me, right? Because you just yes. have to look the corners of the screen. And so, and that's what mm-hmm. I love. Like when he frames stuff, Carpenter, it's always in the far corner. You have to search yeah, for it. Like, yeah. Michael, well, kind of- and like windows in the background and stuff. Yeah. You just like, it's you feel yeah. so vulnerable and. It feels like a bit of a renaissance for that with the Eggers and yeah, yeah, he's um, Ari Oster, however you say his name, Aster mm-hmm. maybe I don't know. Um, and Ty West, House of the Devil, that's a pretty good yeah, modern one. That, that's directed very old school. Has like that, that feel know. for sure. Yeah, the, uh, the so one I just there, but... I was I became obsessed with is. Uh... Uh, the Dark and the Wicked. Oh shit! Yeah, The Dark and the Wicked is great. I haven't seen it. Uh, it yeah, I don't know that. One by Brian Bertino, who did The Strangers. Okay. And The Strangers, yep. I mean, wasn't necessarily for me, but I think yep, he's same. a good director. But this movie is just straight up old school. Cool. Holding on shots, <laughs> things in the corners. Nice. Slow pans, letting characters like letting actors do their job. There's some genuine scares. And it is that. like 90 minutes of tension that I felt like I my adrenals were burned out by the end of it and he didn't awesome. there was nothing flashy about it at all mm-hmm. yeah love it i didn't like it for that reason i was just like okay now I'm <laughs> well, it, it is funny as we were sitting there talking about the pacing of and i will say i saw how yeah, brazil is the stark opposite yeah, exactly. <laughs> in that sense brazil and terry gilling <laughs> right. is the they're opposite. a great double feature <laughs> but again it's about being motivated there's yeah. a tension behind every fucking shot that was one of the greatest compliments we had you know mark metcalf the dude was neater meyer and animal house and shit he's a he came on our podcast too. He's a big fan of Cactus Jack, actually. And that was one of the things he said is I could see this intention behind every shot. And we're like, thank you, dude. Like, that's yes. the greatest compliment you could pay. And Terry Gilliam absolutely deserves that compliment. You know, it's not a music video where it's just throwing a bunch of shots together. And when he uses Dutch angles and shit, it's to invoke a feeling in you, not because he you thinks it looks shot, cool. Every shot is a Dutch angle. It is. It is. But again, yeah, it's funny, it's, actually. Um, so motivating. Metcalf, that, that guest, his favorite uh, movie was Leslie Fontu Paradis. And um, I, when I was researching it, there was a clip of Terry Gilliam. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was his favorite movie, but it was definitely it's on the one of shit. singing its praises. It. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it seems to have been really influential on his work. I appreciate that you didn't call it City of Lost Children. <laughs> <laughs> or Children of Paradise. Film people Children of Paradise. Paradise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, hey, what do you think of City of Lost Children? I fucking love it. Yeah, I was it's, gonna say that's right in that milieu, you know. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah. I don't like the transfer on the latest Blu-ray because it's not as brown as the original. Mm-hmm. And there was something that looks really antique about that original master. Absolutely, very yeah. brass, kind of tarnished. I don't. I really don't. I've gotten really nerdy about that. I recently saw the Batman Returns 4K restoration, and it's really blue, and it works really well. So good. But they did the same thing with the first Batman 89, and I was like. Fuck this! It's too clean. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It depends on the piece, you know. Whatever. Depends how it was lit. I mean, yeah. Tim Burton's old school. He's kind of yeah. what we're talking about, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I've turned into a real geek about that kind of stuff. I had no idea that it would impact my viewing pleasure until I started seeing 
movies I've grown up with getting remastered and looking like total dog shit. You know what's funny, man? We're so into lo-fi nowadays as this yeah. fucking this fuck Hollywood mentality we can find ourselves fucking uh, fashion. Oh, you guys seen uh, Joe Bagos's recent movie? List? No. No. Oh, Dude, we're so out of touch. Part of the reason we started this podcast was to start watching movies again, but we made the mistake of saying, what's your favorite movie? <laughs> Instead of what's the new hot shit you advise watching because we're still just rewriting right. classics. <laughs> Maybe we should change that. Yeah. What's your that's favorite fine. movie this year? <laughs> I'm like that old guy who's just stuck in listening to the doors and shit. At this yeah, point. That's okay. Right. I'm good with that too. Uh, uh, if you haven't seen it yet, then definitely check it out. It's called Bliss. And uh, okay. Joe Bagos, the director, he basically had one of those fuck it moments too where he was just like, I was sick of my management and I was sick of not being able to do my own shit. And he shot it on what, 30? 16, 16 millimeter. millimeter. Yeah, nice. So it's really grainy. And, and it's LA. Yeah, it's like grimy LA though. Like, I love it. I'm all about that shit. So mm-hmm. to, my, to your point though, the 4K restorations and everything, yeah. I find yeah. myself saying, I love, I kind of grew up loving movies on VHS and DVD. Same. Why do I need mm-hmm. this 4K shit now? Right. I don't want VHS. I don't want fucking bad quality. But I find myself buying DVDs on eBay for $2. And I'm like... I had to do that with the Warriors because I hate that director's cut that they put out a couple years back. Yeah. Like, leave uh, it alone at some point. Um, what did good. we watch? Oh, Blade Runner. We were joking about with Zo- or, uh, Zo- no, yeah, Zoe Stage. I was fucking her name up. She came on too. And uh, we were just talking about the number of cuts that were released even in theaters just like so many cuts of blade runner it's crazy but uh, i own all of them yeah <laughs> nice <laughs> you talk about that shit for days too <laughs> what comics turn us on to decent comics to read because you oh, talked yeah. about all these shitty ones we're so out of touch we're stuck in like 90s marvel shit is about when we stopped really with comics so it's kind of funny because that's all that i've been reading lately um oh. i'm not a huge advocate for newer shit because it's it's the 4K restoration yeah, of yeah. But are there no like David Eggers out there of Sweepers, comics? Like who's diamonds yeah. in the rough? Well, Other I than you. Go first, because I'll come okay. up with a list. I'm well, sure. What I've been doing because I've been trying to get a comics education is I've been buying a ton of like issue ones that'll come out of new stuff to mm-hmm. just be like, okay, how cool. do you explain this? Um, mm-hmm. And I very rarely buy issue twos. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm like that with pilots on TV. You yeah. know, I'll, <laughs> I've got a huge collection of pilots. Never seen the second episode. Chris is basically the upfronts for TV. Pass, pass. But but unfortunately, though, I do find that a lot of shows you have to get past the pilot to really enjoy. Right. Even like The Sopranos, you know, it really got hit a stride like in fourth season or something. So. Yeah. Still though, so, uh, like that might be comic true to these art and shit. It's like how is it shot? How is it? You yeah. know what I mean? It's what's the tone really? Yeah. With comics. A lot of times, since you guys are writers, you would be able to pick up immediately, you know, within the first few yeah. pages of the script, whether or not something's going to be That's, good. There's promise. Whether or not these guys can pull off dialogue or whatever. Yeah. Uh, the one comic that I actually put on a pull list and made sure I got every week that it came out was um, Size Spurrier's run on Constantine, the Hellblazer. Because mm. um, that's already up my wheelhouse, like with the whole magic and stuff. But like, he is such a good writer and the artists he got on the project were incredible it was matthias bergara and aaron what's his last name johnson i think so either way the art's incredible and the story like his dialogue and his writing is just like chef's kiss that was the best iteration of the character and it was 12 issues and then dc canceled it so (sighs) typical you were also digging that Joe Hill book too. Oh yeah, yeah. So Joe Hill is Joe Hill is a name that sounds Stephen familiar. King, Stephen King's yeah. son, right? Yeah. He took a pseudonym. Right. He did, pulled a um, Richard Bachman, so he wouldn't get you know get fame just <laughs> off the name. Yeah. He uh, has an imprint now with DC, right? Called Hill House. Yeah. Nice. And he read a book called Plunge, which is like deep sea horror and like yes. body nice horror. Yes. love it that's up my yeah, alley man <laughs> and it's rarely done well that's the thing yeah so i look forward to checking that out yeah, yeah it's got references to the thing and like i think the the main captain's name is carpenter but it's great okay it's great. all the homages yeah yeah so cool. plunge by with joe hill was really good okay yeah Stuart in retirement for that yeah so that speaks to that nice um as for me uh, I haven't really been digging on a lot of stuff lately. I've been picking up a book called Ultra Mega by James Heron. I usually focus on shit that's written and drawn by the same guy. 
that's cool uh, like sort of auteur of yeah, comics, the comics world so few people in the industry that are allowed to do that those are my favorite movies are usually written in directly mm-hmm. you know um and it's really really good it's his first time writing and it shows a little bit but i mean his art's so good and it's about giant kaiju yeah, yeah it's a kaiju nice. monster body horror story let me throw this out talking about the artist and being an auteur in comics essentially i kind of feel like i fell off in the 90s as image was created because yeah. marvel now took a step back big without fucking mcfarlane and uh jesus christ jim who started jim lee and there jim was lee, a third, uh, wasn't there or was it just the two of them hmm. i thought That's there was a third one. creator who went to image who was just the two of them sylvester. yeah sylvester was one of them yes alan sylvester yeah. valentino yeah all right, well, but to the auteurs, though, I think when I went to read Spawn in, what was the shit, Wildcats or something? Yeah. <laughs> That's what Jim Lee made, right? That was a Jim Lee one. Yeah. That yeah. I felt like. Totally forgot. Totally I kind of want to see them packaged, though, with that great writer. Like maybe yeah. Jim Lee Strong yeah. is in writing. Yeah. So to me, yeah. Marvel now sucked and Image wasn't as good as it could be. Right. Because it was artists wanting to write. But uh, yeah. Oh, that's one of the biggest things that uh, people talk shit about with those early image books. And that's how Todd McFarlane shut that down. He was like, oh, you don't like the writing? Okay, well, I'm going to get Alan Moore. I'm going to get Neil Gaiman. Exactly. That's what it's like. Yes. See, I, I don't think I stuck around long enough to hit that stage. That's the problem. Yeah. yeah was- I love the Sandman stuff and Watchmen. I mean, they're like top yeah. shelf to me, you know. But Those are those are those books that you can give to anyone. You're like, no, comics can be this. And they're like, oh. yeah. Like, has literally, anyone ever yeah. seen Alan Moore draw? Like, what is that? I kind of mm, want to see something he damn. would draw. I might prefer that over the Dave Gibbons one, Gibbons one just because it is him, <laughs> just to see what he, like, even if it's like stick, stick figures and all shit, crazy. Yeah. They, uh, they printed no offense to Gibbons, but... Watchmen that actually has, like, his thumbnails mm. and, like, breakdowns oh, and whatever. It's fascinating looking at the process. Dude, I got to get that. Like Del Toro's book. With all yeah, his... yeah. What do you think of Zack Snyder in comics? Well, he hasn't written one yet, but he's what do you think of his like comic adaptations in Hollywood? We we don't mind Zack Snyder. I'm not gonna hate house. on him. I'm yeah. not gonna hate on him. Cool. It's, too, it's too trendy to fucking hate someone who's doing that shit. Uh, I will say this: I shouldn't stop you either. If it, if yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, <laughs> there shouldn't be a reason not to. If you do, that's all I'm saying. Not that I'm saying you should, but go ahead. I'm not a Zack Snyder hater either. His Watchmen, it's like, it's, unless you yeah. make a limited series or something, to yeah. put that shit into a yeah, movie. Yeah. I mean, it's so rich. And the tapped. Black Frigate and all that shit, or Freighter, or whatever it's called. Yeah, but, yeah. Like, you lose all that in the movie. But that's just, that's what happens when you adapt to a movie that has this time mm-hmm. constraint. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You have that ultimate, ultimate cut that's got the animated Black Freighter put throughout the movie. Oh, shit. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, I haven't seen Does that, that exist? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Damn. It's got like uh, the ultimate director's cut, and then they cut in all the Black Freighter stuff that was animated for it. it so Snyder's good. problem is the studio system, apparently, because like with Justice League, it was the same thing, right? You know, yeah, just sure. man, there you go, repeating the theme over and over. Sucker Punch <laughs> is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Though, yeah. sorry, girl power and everything. Just, <laughs> that was a bad metaphor for girl power to me. Mm. It's the uh, yeah, and I don't know. That's didn't you do a Texas Chainsaw Massacre? I don't think that was that was but too I much liked, of like, visuals. Yeah, the Sucker the Punch looks good. That shit looks good. <laughs> but there's Not a no, great movie. no story whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. that's just, the thing. He might be like one of those visionary yeah. visual the sensibility again of it yeah exactly he yeah. would need someone to write for him this is like, yeah. like if we wrote a Zack snyder movie it'd be t- come on be amazing. <laughs> call, call us zach <laughs> exactly uh just so would this done. be your desert island movie brazil if you were stuck forever with one movie to watch and nothing else man yeah probably i mean, there's very few movies i put on in the background and at watching Cause like I'll throw stuff on mercilessly while I'm working, mm-hmm. but uh, Brazil's one of those movies that it, it, even if I'm not in the mood for it, I'll end up watching it, and uh, I just dig it. It's so uninhibited with its disgust for how things are done. Like yes. it hates process more than anything, and even when you're not getting that from the movie, you kind of get that from the movie. And there's like and it's constantly stuff. popping. Just there's it's always so something going on. Dude, yes. Like it has whole aspects of that film have nothing to do with how the film starts out and you just get something new did you see ebert gave it one star oh yeah he no shit it. i ebert did not hated know that it, dude oh, he hated man. most killian movies he gave fisher King one star i think which i think is bizarre because that's the most accessible thing he's ever made exactly 
I know I kind of feel bad sometimes that it's my favorite, but it's not my favorite of. It's not that it's like I don't know. It's just hard to say. It's those two characters, honestly. It's the characters. Yeah, like Ravanese or whatever the yeah. script he wrote. You know, Mercedes mm-hmm. Rolls character. Come on, fucking amazing. Yeah. And just the Howard Stern of it all, the absurdity that smacks throughout that as well with the excuse me sitcom mm-hmm. shit and everything. Like I knew I was gonna love both of you. And Carl, just through your art, I knew I was gonna love you. But the fact that that's what you love about Brazil, just <laughs> that it hates on all this shit, is that turns me on even more. <laughs> it's just funny too, because it's not caustic about it. Right. It's just don't you guys realize? <laughs>